Good morning. Uh, I'm, my name's Gail, okay, and I get to share some thoughts with you about our series in Matthew um, this morning, so I'm excited about that, but I'm just going to pray for us uh, before we start. Uh, dear Jesus, I just um, thank you for this time to come together, look at your word, and hear from you, and I just, I know that you promised that your word um, never returns to you empty, God, and I just kind of hanging on to that promise this morning that um, that despite any goofs I might make, God, that your word would just um, be apparent to us and that we would be able to follow you in it. Thank you for that promise. Amen. Um, good. So we're in the series on Matthew right now, and we're thinking about the directions of Jesus. Um, so our direction today is follow. Um, and... Um, when I started thinking about this concept of following, I thought of my dad, who is, um, he's a Naval Academy graduate, Naval he was a Naval officer, his two older brothers went to the Naval Academy, his father was in the Navy for a good part of his growing up, and his mom kind of ran the house as a naval, mini Naval Academy, I guess, she was pretty tough, so he would love, he would really enjoy saying to my sister and I, when I say jump, you say, how high? And I think that was something that all the cadets had to say. So he, he would love to have us say that. Um, so he would, all, at random moments, just say, jump. And Karen and I would say, how high? And we would get really into it. Um, the kind of silliness of all of it is that my sister and I totally had my dad wrapped around our fingers. And he never really expected us to do <laughs> all that much. I think he went from an all-boy, uh, all, all men, to having two daughters. And it just softened him right up. Um, but I think, you know, that's when we think about the word follow, we think there's an action, right? You follow me and you do something about it. There's an, there's an action implied. When Jesus says follow, maybe we're not going to say how high, but we're going to say let's go or where, and we're going to go take that, that step. And I think follow had that kind of active um, like sensibility to it as a word for a long time, but I think now in the culture that we're in right now, um, it's really more of a passive word. For instance, I follow Bulldogs of Instagram, I follow Trumbull Memes, I follow Gordon Ramsay, I follow a lot of feed, right, social feed that comes, comes into me, I'm an observer of that, um, but it's not, I don't act a lot on a lot of it, I actually don't really make anything that Gordon Ramsay makes that I watch him make, and um, I don't, there's no action required, right, we all follow things now, and there's no, um, there's no expectation that we're going to have a step. Um, so I think when we think about Jesus and following Jesus, we just have to be super careful that we don't get into that mindset of today where it's just a passive, just one more voice in the feed, right, that we're, that we're kind of scrolling through. Um, so the passage, um, Ian talked about Matthew 7, which was also on kind of the cost of following Jesus. Um, he did such a great job with that on following the narrow gate, going through the narrow gate. Um, today we're looking at Matthew 8, and just to kind of put some context around Matthew 8, um, right before the five verses that we're going to focus on, there's just been a series of miracles and healings and just all these, like, wonders and supernatural things. And so everybody is really hopped up and excited, and the crowd is really big. There's a lot of momentum um, and excitement. So we are going to read Matthew 8, 18 to 22. So... It says, when Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. 
Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. So it's a short little passage. We're gonna, I think there's a lot to be pulled out from that little section. Um, you know, throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus in these like one-on-one -on -one interactions with people. And because he's God and all-knowing, he can kind of see through whatever they're saying right to their heart. Um, Ian mentioned the rich young ruler, right? He looked at him and he, he saw um, this person is putting his wealth above me, right? He was able to see that. And he has an interaction with a Samaritan woman and he's able to say, you know, leave these other broken relationships and, and have a relationship with me. Or Nicodemus, he's able to say, you know what, his... He needs to be um, leave their religious establishment and be born again. So he's able to really look like individually at these people and see what is it that they need to do to follow me. What's their next step? So I wouldn't really expect anything different in this interaction with these uh, two disciples. So um, I love the first disciple. I kind of think of him as like the all-in disciple. He's like, wherever you go, wherever I'm in, I will go with you. Um, you know, he's probably really excited about all the things. He's seen Jesus doing, um, and I, I totally believe he's genuine in the moment. We've all been there and, like, heard a great speaker or an emotional movie or something, and we're motivated. Um, it also says that he was a teacher of the law. Some translations say he was a scribe, so he was really educated. He probably had an equivalent of, like, a Ph.D. in the Torah and the Bible, the Old Testament law, um, so he might have seen, you know, following Jesus, now a carpenter, right, as kind of a demotion to him, like, might have felt like Jesus should have been kind of excited that a scribe or a teacher of the law wanted to um, put themselves under his tutelage, um, that he was going to be humbling himself in that, in that place. But Jesus is able to look at this disciple um, and see that he's, you know, on the surface he's all in, but in his heart he's, he's holding back. And he calls him to the part that he needs to change, which is just being uncomfortable. Um, he says, you know, even foxes have dens, but we have, you follow me, we're going to have no place to sleep. We're going to be sleeping on the road. Um, so I think in thinking about that for us, you know, a lot of times on a Sunday, you know, we can um, hear Tom or Ian or someone speak and we can, and the music, and we can get really excited. But um, when Monday morning comes, we're too uncomfortable to get up a little early um, and spend time with Jesus or, um, you know, being in a small group sounds like a good thing or going to man time or whatever's uncomfortable for you. I don't know what's uncomfortable for each one of you, but there's something probably that is uncomfortable um, and God's calling us to, to be. Um, what I'm going to say about this disciple is that we can learn that we need to be comfortable being uncomfortable. That's kind of the main point for this disciple. Um, our second disciple, um, he wants to go bury his father, and Jesus tells him, no, to let the dead bury the, their own dead, which sounds really harsh. Um, and I think, you know, he's able to look at this um, man and see that he wants to put um, other things in front of Jesus, even good things, right? Um, you know, he 
We know that in Jewish custom, if someone dies, they're going to be buried within 24 hours. So it's unlikely that this man's father like died that morning and they were going to bury him. It was probably probably something more along the lines of, you know, maybe his father is ill or he's older and he wants to stay and care for him until he, um, until he dies, which is a good thing, right? Taking care of our parents is a good thing. Um, but, but Jesus, um, there's so many good things, and Jesus says, I want to be the thing, not just one of the good things. Um, I know for, for me, or maybe you can relate to this, I think they have thought things in the past like, oh, when my kids are older, or when we don't have lacrosse every weekend, or when my parents aren't living with me, or when I get to this position at work, or when I finish this degree that I'm working on, then I'll, I'll follow you in that area. But Jesus is saying, um, now. And we're going to read a passage from Luke, if you don't mind putting that one up. Um, that's even a little bit harsher, his wording on this. Um, Again, large crowds, people are really motivated. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. So <clears throat> he was a little bit harsh in our passage, but in that one, wow. <laughs> the language is so strong, and, you know, Tom says a lot from up here, we have to look at everything in context. So we know God wants us to honor our mother and father so that things will go well with us and that he cares, he wants us to care for our children, um, and that he doesn't want us to cause any harm to, to um, our family, that family is his plan. So what is he saying here? And I think, you know, there's just no doubt he's using such strong language to say, I'm, st I'm first. You know, I'm, these are all good things, um, family, marriage, um, kids but I, I still have to be first. Um, he wants all of us, and I think that's so hard. Um, so I think from this disciple, kind of our theme is that to be a follower of Jesus, you need to constantly reprioritize him as the best thing, even among other good things, even though the good things he gives us. Um, and I can relate. I mean, I could in preparing for this, I can think of so many times that I've just said no um, when Jesus has asked me to do something. One kind of like, I don't know, uh, event in my life that I think kind of puts the comfort and the reprioritizing him as the good thing, best thing among good things for me was at the end of college. Um, I had been very involved in school with um, the campus ministry, university at my school, and I really felt like, in my, like not an audible word from Jesus, but in my heart of heart and from other people, I knew that I was supposed to go on staff with InterVarsity, um, that God was calling me to that. But I was really uncomfortable with a couple things. One was I had a fundraise, right, for that um, position, which made me really uncomfortable. The other thing was that I'd have to go to my parents, who did not value going on staff with InterVarsity, and say, thank you for paying for four years of college. I'm not going to use that degree the way that I <laughs> expected to, I'm going to go raise money and tell people about Jesus. And I was really uncomfortable with that. Um, I had an offer to do another good thing, which was serve the poor for the, a year after my graduation in D.C. and live at the National Cathedral and um, live in a Christian community and help the poor. And that was a good thing. Um, but I know that, that I, in that case, that's just like one of those moments in my life where I can just say, I, Jesus asked me to do this, and I just, I said, no, thank you, and I did my own thing. Um, 
And I knew that very soon after. And the good thing about Jesus is that, uh, you know, I, one of my favorite verses is when Paul says that I'm confident in this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. So once I realized that, I'd really made, said no um, and realized that I just rationalized myself out of that choice, um, then, you know, you just the next step, right? And God used my time in D.C., and I made better choices next time, and I heard his voice more clearly next time. So, um, you know, the good thing is that we can always readjust and reprioritize. And on the, the flip side of that, I think, and I'm sure um, you would all find this true in your own life, the times we hear Jesus call us to do something that makes us uncomfortable or something that, um, you know, puts him above other things is that you're never disappointed, right? Um, if you, sometimes he calls us to things that are inconvenient. And um, when we do those things, despite the inconvenience and the sacrifice, we're always um, blessed, right? We get to see God's generosity go through us. We get to see God's loving kindness go through us. We get to see um, people become closer to Jesus or feel loved, and that is amazing. So I think the more times we say yes, the more we train ourselves to say yes because it's such a good thing. Um, you know, for me, things that can make me uncomfortable are to pray for someone I don't know what very well, to invite people to my house when it's messy, to miss the gym class that I love, to um, spend time with someone who needs a friend. And sometimes I don't always say yes, but I know from my experience and the Bible that I will never say, you know, oh man, I wish I had gone to that gym class. I'll always be glad that I did what Jesus called me to do. Um, so you might be thinking, you know, um, how do I hear Jesus' voice to me and all this? And um, we're kind of famous around here for saying we look up. We look up in um, Bible study and prayer to Jesus. We lean in to one another, and then we reach out to those around us who are poor in spirit and resources. Um, so this is kind of going to be a focus on looking up. How do we look up and hear um, God calling us? So if you... Aren't, would not say that you are a disciple of Jesus right now. You're maybe, um, you know, just kind of investigating it. I'd say, um, you know, I would read the Gospel of Matthew that we're in right now. Um, you know, just put your toe in, hear what Jesus says and does, and try it and see see what happens. I think that you will not be disappointed. Um, I, I got to go on the Philadelphia trip um, with the middle school and high school kids, and it was an amazing trip, and they were so great. Um, and the speakers were awesome, but there was one speaker at Philly, and um, kind of their theme was I am, and the T-shirt had a picture of the burning bush that Moses um, hears God through, um, the burning bush. And the, one of the speakers, he talked about how um, when Moses saw the, the bush burning, he, um, and that it didn't burn up, he was kind of like, hmm, you know, he wondered about it. He didn't know it was God. He didn't know what was happening. The bush was just burning, and it wasn't being consumed. Um, so it says Moses thought, this is from Exodus, Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from the bush, Moses, Moses. So God he saw something. He didn't know what it was. It was something spiritual. He, he really didn't know, and he turned, just turned toward it to walk to it. And when he did that, God called his name Moses, Moses. And he didn't call him until he kind of turned and looked at it. 
Um, and that really stayed with me the whole week we were in Philly. That um, So if you're just, you know, thinking about Jesus and what he says and what he does, that if you just, you just turn, you know, just turn toward him in any way, whatever it is, reading the Bible, talking to someone about Jesus, praying, whatever's new for you, and you just, you just turn, that he's going to call you, um, that he's going to speak to you, that he just requires just a minimal turn from us. You know, we take one step towards him and, and he'll take several steps towards us. So I would just encourage you in that to, to try it out. Um, and if you are someone who would, yeah, I consider myself a, dis a disciple of Jesus, I would just say continue looking up. You know, the practice of prayer and reading the Bible puts us in a position to hear Jesus when he calls us. Um, <clears throat> we had, uh, uh, I didn't tell Craig I was going to refer to this, but Craig, Craig Newton was up here, interviewed about a month ago, um, and he did such a great job. And if you, you missed it, you could watch it. It was towards the end of June. Um, but... I was just sitting in amazement listening to Craig talk and being interviewed by Tom, and um, here's what amazed me about that. <laughs> it's that a while ago, Tom had talked about, you know, being in ready position, like in sports, there's a ready position, right? Your knees are bent, you're ready to move, your eyes are watching, you're, you're ready to go. You're ready, you know, um, you're ready to move. And that, you know, Bible study and prayer and those things, they, they put us in ready position, so we're ready to go. And when I was listening to Craig, and he, he was talking about um, like five different times in his story when God called him to like crazy generosity or hospitality or open his home, all these big asks God made, he said, we didn't really have to think much about it. And I, I just felt like that's because Craig Newton's in ready position, right? You know, God makes a big ask of him. He's, he's ready. I want to be like that. I want to be just ready to go when someone makes it, when God makes an ask of me. Um, and I think, you know, I'm blessed to be around a lot of people in this church that are in, they're in ready position. Um, and how amazing that is. Um, another um, person that uh, has spoken a lot into my life through his books is um, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. So I'm going to put a picture of him up right now. He was a German pastor in the 1930s and 40s. Here he is. So I love this picture because, like, every picture of Dietrich Bonhoeffer is in, like, his three-piece suit, and he looks like a very nerdy professor. But I like this one because he looks a little like James Dean, like, rebel, which he totally was a rebel um, in so many meaningful ways. So I, I love this picture. I have a little bit of, like, a, I don't know, theological or spiritual crush on him. It's okay. Tom knows. But he's, uh, he's in there. I just, I just... I just think he's amazing. Anyway, but he was, for those of you who might not know, he was a pastor in Germany. Um, he wrote, um, he led a small Protestant resistance movement under Nazi Germany. Um, and he was actually involved in a conspiracy to, you know, overthrow Hitler. Um, he, the, the church became run by the government and he ran an um, underground seminary to teach people what it really meant to follow Jesus. And... Um, he really understood the cost of discipleship. In fact, he wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship in 1937. Um, and it's just, it's a great book. And he, um, he coined this phrase called cheap grace. And kind of how he defines that in his, his book is that, um, that cheap grace is just accepting all the, the forgiveness of God, um, forgiveness of our sins without any action or transformation with no change in our direction, right? 
um, much in the way that we consider following people today, right? It's just one more voice in the feed that we're um, putting in front of ourselves, but we're not um, stepping into it or changing in any way. So we kind of coined this this phrase, um, cheap grace. And then he he went on to talk about costly grace. So I'm just going to read you this quote from his book, The Cost of Discipleship. But he says, costly grace is the gospel which must be sought again and again, the gift which must be asked for, the door at which a man must knock. So that sounds a lot like constantly reprioritizing him as number one, right? We talked about with the second disciple, a constant um, turning towards Jesus and listening to him. It's not a one-time, it's not just we believe and it's a one-time thing. It's a constant um, seeking of Jesus and his voice in our life. And then he goes on to say, such grace is costly because it calls us to follow, right? Follow is our word, follow requires an action. And it's grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It's costly because it costs a man his life, right? He, he wants our whole life. Um, and it's grace because it gives a man the only true life, right? It gives us the only life with purpose and meaning and loving kindness and grace, and it's so worth it. The cost is so worth it. It's costly because it condemns sin, and it's grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, it is costly because it cost God the life of his son. You were bought at a price, and what God has, when what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. And I love that, um, that, that thought so much, that what's cost God much can't be cheap for us, that he requires follow for us to be in action. Um, it's not just, you know, theological talk. It's, he's not just a guy who wrote a book in 1937, but he really walked the walks. And when you read those words, you can know he, you know, he left his background, his fiance, his family, and all of his comfort to pursue Jesus with no regrets. And he walked, you know, right into a concentration camp and his 1945 execution because Jesus was first and everything was second. Um, I'm going to call the band back up at this point to get ready. Um, but the, the crazy thing is that Jesus is calling you and me. And um, his call in my life is not going to look like your life, and it's not going to look like Craig's life or Dietrich's life or the rich young ruler's life or um, the all-in disciple's life. It's going to be God is going to look into your heart and tell you what the next thing is to to follow the next step for you to follow him. Um, like we like to say around here a lot, God meets us where we are, right? God, Jesus is going to meet us where we are, but he's not content to leave us there. He's going to call us to the next steps. And I'm just going to put up a last little slide about some possible next steps. So we talked about reading the Gospel of Matthew. One of the interns at Philly made a great point. He, he was talking about he was, he was just, like maybe some of you are, he was considering being a disciple of Jesus. He was thinking about it. He had met some people at college, never thought about Jesus. Met some people at college who loved God, and um, they challenged him over Christmas break, which was about 30 days, to read Matthew, one chapter. It's got 28 chapters for 28 days. And um, he just talked about how that completely changed his life, getting to know Jesus. <coughs> um, the other one is I'm going to put up a link um, to this great Bible study that is free by one of my favorite authors, Hannah Brencher. It's called First Be a Follower, 
um, a Bible study on following Jesus in a follower-obsessed culture, and she put it online for free, and it's amazing. Tom, my husband, was nice enough to print and bind it for me because I loved it so much. And, um, and then just maybe two things to think about are, what's one area where you're placing comfort over Jesus? And then another is um, one area where you might be putting other people or things, even good things, ahead of following Jesus. Father God, we just thank you so much that... Um, that you are not just um, the one thing, but you're the best thing, God. You are the best thing that we could ask for. And I just I, um, pray for this body, um, God, that we would just be a group of people who are in constant ready position, that when you call us, when you say follow, we say let's go, and that we, um, we would just be ready and able to be your hands and feet in this world, God. Thank you so much um, for all of um, the ways that you provide for us so that we could do that. Amen.